Psalm 42, entitled, Why Are You Cast Down, O My Soul? Reading the whole psalm. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. <clears throat> deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Open God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So far our scripture reading this morning. In preparation for um, the reading of the message this morning, I, I, I wish to just lead us in a short prayer. Let's pray. Father, we look to you to strengthen our faith, our hope and trust in you. Our hearts are prone to waver when we go through times of trial. Cause us to look upwards to our Maker, when we are overwhelmed by this life. May we find encouragement in our faith and hope in your eternal providential care. Please bless the hearers with open hearts and the reader with confidence and clarity this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, John Calvin had a wonderful way of describing the Psalms. He called them the anatomy of every part of the soul. The Psalms are wonderful to study, not just because of their rich doctrine, not just because of the beautiful way in which they describe truth, not just because of the way they point us to Christ, but because they teach us about the rich emotional life of those who have faith in God. So this morning if we were to have an anatomy lesson and we had a soul in front of us on the operating table and we were to dissect it, what would we observe inside the soul? Well, we'd find inside the soul of each person who has faith in God things like fear, anger, joy, concerns suffocating faith, 
all kinds of doubts, perplexities and griefs. No matter what the state of your soul, you can always go to the Psalms and you can find one and say, yes, the Psalmist understands me and exactly what I'm going through. God understands me. Now why is this important? Well, it's important because in general, the church today has a very narrow idea of how the Christian faith should be experienced and expressed. You can go to pretty much any worship service in New Zealand today and you will find people who are very comfortable expressing gladness and happiness. But I wonder whether there is a place in worship for the person whose life is filled with sorrows. The person who can come to worship when sorrows like sea billows are just rolling all over him or her. Is there a place in worship for a person who is perplexed by God's work in their lives? And they can come to the point where they can say, I don't know what you're doing, Lord. I don't understand this. What's going on in my life? And where are you in all of this? Is there a place for those who drag themselves to church this morning who don't know why? And what you are doing, Lord, I don't understand this. What's going on in my life? Is there a place for that kind of thing in the Christian church and in the Christian life? Well, the Bible clearly thinks so because you just need to read the book of the Psalms. And note that the psalmist, um, um, and note that the Psalms were not just meant to teach us, they were meant to be sung. They were meant to be used in worship as an expression of how the faithful are feeling about God and what is going on in their lives. And sometimes what's going on in our lives and in the lives of the psalmist is messy stuff and some pretty awkward stuff that we might not even want to think about or talk about. Our hearts aren't always at peace and rest. And what the Psalms do is allow us to express that. What's going on in the Psalms and in this Psalm we are considering today? Well, it's not particularly pretty stuff. The Psalmist tells us that his soul is downcast. That's the chorus. It's in verse 5 and verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? So this person gets up in the morning, and spiritually they feel empty. Their soul is gloomy. A haunting sense of sadness seems to cover them. It takes effort just to get through the day. This too is part of the Christian life. Now I don't say this to discourage you and make you gloomy. Strangely enough, this is an encouragement to us, because this is how sometimes the psalmist felt. This is sometimes how we feel. And the psalmist wants to help us when we find ourselves in this situation where our souls are downcast. So we're going to look at the psalm, this psalm this morning from two angles. Firstly, we're going to examine the misery, uh, and then we're going to des describe the medicine. Two points, the misery and the medicine. So firstly, let's consider the misery of the psalmist. The first part of his misery is that he feels separated from God 
And this expresses itself in longing to be with God. It's there in verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, I'm like a deer that's been hunted. I've been running and I've come to a stream and I'm desperate for water. If I don't have water, I will die. And that's how the psalmist feels spiritually. I must have God or I will die. He longs for God. And the reason his soul is downcast is because he doesn't have access to God. Now, the usual place in the Old Testament for the believer uh, to have access to God, where you enjoy God, was the temple. And in verse 6, the psalmist speaks of himself as being in the heights of Hermon. Now, this geographically is in the northeast of Israel, and the temple is in the south. He is spiritually and physically separated from God, and so he longs to be uh, with God, and, to, um, and this is part of the psalmist's misery. What's your definition of misery? Is it when the All Blacks have lost a test match, or when some of your freedoms have been curtailed? What's the psalmist's definition of misery? Not being able to be near God to enjoy God, to have fellowship with God, not being able to go to the temple. Brothers and sisters, of course, we don't go to the temple anymore. There's no place where we need to go to meet God. What's the temple in the New Testament? Well, the primary images for the temple in the New Testament is the people of God. The people of God are the temple of God. The people of God are the place where God dwells. So it's as God's people gather, as we are this morning, for worship, to hear his word and to be with him through his word and through his sacraments, that is where God dwells. And the psalmist is saying it's misery to be apart from that. And perhaps, as we've experienced in recent times, and being limited in our ability to worship with each other, and in these strange times, perhaps you all understand what this misery is a bit like. The second part of David's misery is that it is prolonged. He talks about this in a very graphic way in verse 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. So it's not just some emotional outburst by the psalmist. And a few tissues later, everything is sweet again. This is someone who's been struggling day after day after day. Tears for breakfast, tears for morning tea, tears for lunch, tears for afternoon tea, tears for dinner, and just before bed, some more tears then. Get up, repeat, and do it all over again. It's a prolonged distress. Maybe some of you know what this is like. You've had a prolonged period of distress. Maybe you don't cry. You know, you don't want to show your emotions too much. But there's been a prolonged distress in your life and experience. And note in verse 3 that it is connected to something very specific. It's connected to, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? This is the accusation, isn't it? Where is God? Where is your God when things are going wrong? It feels like he's unavailable, unconcerned and uncaring. And there is the voice of accusation sometimes we hear either from outside us 
or even from our own souls when something goes wrong. When you see a friend lose a spouse at a young age and the accusation comes, where was God in all this? When you want to work through your marriage problems and your spouse is just not interested and you wonder, where is God? Where is God? That's the misery the psalmist knew. That's the voice of accusation he heard. Perhaps many of you are familiar with that voice of accusation. Where is your God? Now the third part of the misery is the feeling of going under. It is there in verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now the psalmist has just been speaking about the Jordan River. And the Jordan River in some places was a real cascading torrent. And the psalmist feels like he's in that water. This is the third time the psalmist has spoken about water. There's been the water he was longing for, the water he wants to satisfy his thirst with. Then there's been the water that's been coming from where? His tear ducts, his tears. And now there is the water that he is in, water that is just crashing down upon him, the waves that keep breaking down upon him. And he feels like he's going under. There, there are external pressures coming upon him. The pressures are just so great because you know exactly what he feels like as well. One giant wave of family problems, then the next wave of financial stresses, then there are the waves of drama in the church, and it feels like you're going under. And maybe your life's, uh, maybe in your life, it's as if the waves keep coming and you are down there all the time and you can't get up. You just want one breath of air. Just, you just want one little break, but you can't. You want to be sitting under a palm tree on a beach, but there you are in the water. No wonder the soul of this man was downcast. This is what it was like for him. No wonder our souls are downcast at times. This is what life is like at times. Now if you think all this stuff about downcast and disturbed souls is a little bit sub-Christian, if you think, well, you know, we're in the New Testament era and this kind of stuff just doesn't happen anymore, well, this was the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, wasn't it? You only have to read the Gospels to see that at times Christ's soul was disturbed and downcast within him. Remember John 12 and 27 where Jesus is entering Jerusalem and he's mindful of his impending death and he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. And when Jesus was with his disciples and he is speaking of one, the one who is going to betray him, and in John 13, 21 he says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then, of course, we see Jesus on the cross, where all the waves and breakers of God's judgment are barreling down upon him. Then, for the first time in his life, he is conscious of his separation from fellowship with God, and his soul is disturbed. Why else is he crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Earlier in the service, brothers and sisters, we sang 
Psalm 42. Some of you might have found this psalm hard to sing because you have a very narrow experience of the Christian life. Some of you will find this psalm very easy to sing because it's your experience. Our Lord Jesus Christ can then sing this psalm with his people because he knows exactly what it's like to have downcast and disturbed souls. So that was the misery, and now for the medication, the good bit. We want to see how the psalmist deals with his downcast souls. He doesn't wallow in it. He doesn't seek to define himself by it. He actually gives himself a good dose of medicine. It's like he prescribes a course of antibiotics to deal with his downcast soul. And this doesn't take away the problems the psalmist is having. We've got to get this straight. It doesn't take away and magically make his problems disappear. But what it's designed to do is to lift our souls, even amidst struggles. Even as the waves and breakers crash down, what the psalmist is doing is trying to show us that even though we might have reasons to be discouraged, we have even better and firmer reasons to be encouraged in the gospel. So let's have a look at the medicine. The first part of the medicine is to admit there is a problem. Sometimes we can live in denial. We think if we pretend something doesn't exist, it will just go away like a guy when he's sick and refuses to go to the doctor. He thinks it will just magically go away. That is not how it works. When something is painful, it's good to say, this is painful, this hurts. When we are upset about something, it's okay to say, this upsets me. When your soul is downcast, it's a right to say, my soul is downcast within me. Unfortunately, the Christian subculture we live in is not very good at promoting this kind of honesty. We think we're supposed to be on the spiritual high all the time. And you know, if we say something negative like, my soul is downcast, then you know we're bringing everyone down. It's okay to say my soul is downcast. It's okay to say, even in worship, that's what the psalmist did. But notice that the psalms, psalmist doesn't simply admit he's got a problem. He wants to diagnose the problem, doesn't he? What's the question he keeps asking? Why? Why? Why, my soul, are you downcast? What's the cause, the reason my soul has become downcast? The difficulty here is that when we are downcast, we have a tendency to let the struggle overwhelm us. We don't actually go on to think about it um, and what is causing our souls to be downcast. But we must. Most of the time there are good reasons for our spiritual despondency. Sometimes they are pretty simple reasons like you're not getting enough rest, having a proper diet, not getting enough exercise. Your soul might be downcast because of it. Our bodies and our souls affect one another and you need to go and get some sleep um, and to eat properly and exercise. Other times our souls can be downcast because of external factors that are upsetting us. A relationship at work or at home or at church. Other times our souls can be downcast because we've got some internal struggle with some doubts or with some discouragement in our life. And the psalmist is saying, go away and do some prodding and poking in your souls. When you get that ouch, aha, 
moment there is a problem, then you can begin to address the reasons your soul is downcast. And one of the ways you can address this, and the second thing the psalmist does, is that he talks to himself. The psalmist talks to himself. We think people who talk to themselves are a little bit funny. You know, you catch your co-worker talking to themselves, or you go into the bedroom of one of your children, and they're having this conversation, and they see you, and they get all embarrassed. Well, did you notice who the psalmist is talking to? The psalmist in this psalm is not addressing God. He's not seeking a special word from God. He's talking to himself. He's reminding himself of certain spiritual truths that his downcast soul needs to hear. Congregation, this is good news because this means our situation is never hopeless. There's never a time nothing can be done. Even if the source of our spiritual despondency is a chemical imbalance in our brains, we can do something. We can talk to our downcast souls. Martin Lloyd-Jones had a wonderful sermon on this topic of talking to yourself as he looks at Psalm 42 and he says, the main trouble in this whole matter of depression is that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to yourself. Take the thoughts that you're getting the first thing you wake up in the morning and you haven't originated them but they just start talking to you and they bring back problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man in the Psalms treatment was this. Instead of allowing himself to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. But confusing that you'll I'll explain that shortly. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he says. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Soul, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. This is our problem, isn't it, at times. We get far too much. We listen far too much to ourselves, and we need to talk to ourselves. Pastor Andrew DePriest, who wrote the sermon, acknowledges that this is his problem. He listens to himself. Myself says to me every Sunday, he says, who are you to get up here and say anything to these people? Do you really think something's going to happen today that will last for all eternity? Self says, where is your God? And if I listen to myself, I get quite discouraged. And that's when he feels the need to talk to himself. He needs to talk to himself about God, the God who can use even the weakest of human instruments to bring about his own glory. About the God who is powerful enough to bring something out of nothing. About the God who is working fruits in his people that he cannot see. Congregation, the pastor needs to hear his own sermons. You think he's preaching to you every Sunday, and he is, but he's also preaching to himself as well. The preacher is preaching to his own, own soul. And now for you, congregation, the psalmist says, Talk to yourselves. Preach the gospel to yourself. You need to stop listening to the lies you tell yourself that speaks that yourself speaks to you. And you need to take your soul in hand and tell it the truth. The truth of God's word and God's gospel. Now the third thing we need to see here, the third part of the medicine, is the psalmist remembers. He remembers. Remembering is an activity the psalmist engaged in 
more than once here in the psalm. And this is the stabiliser his soul needs to stay afloat as the waves come crashing down upon him. In verse 4 we read, there he remembers past times of congregational worship. And in verse 6, he does some remembering when he is far away from the temple. What is the point of remembering? Well, the point of remembering is it helps you to see that not everything is doom and gloom. It lifts up our soul because we can see how God has been good to you in the past. Reminiscing is good for the soul on a human level, isn't it? Think about the times you've looked through your photo albums and seen photos of your children. It just warms your heart to see the good times and the silly times and the fun times you've had together. And it's the same spiritually. It's good for us to remember the past times of blessings, past times when God has caused us to grow, past times when we've felt near to God, past times when worship has been a joy for us. It's good medicine to remember. Now finally, the final bit of medicine we need in our downcast state is to put our hope in God. See how the psalmist answers himself in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now what is this hope in the scripture? Hope in the scripture is not the kind of word we often use for hope, is it? I hope to get a red Ferrari for my birthday. I hope this sermon will finish really soon. They are probably just wishful thinking, aren't they? Hope in the Bible is a certainty, an absolute certainty based on the promises of God. It's not wishful thinking. It will happen because God has promised it. This is where the psalmist finds his hope. There is a certainty in this situation. I will yet praise my God. Hope is something that sustains us in despondency. It doesn't take our difficulties away, but it helps us to get through them. We sometimes express this certain hope when we recite the Heidelberg Catechism together and question and answer one. And we have a sure and certain hope for the future congregation. And if our souls are downcast, we have something that is not wishful thinking, but it's a certainty. The certainty that our Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price of our sin with his death and resurrection. The certainty that God will not let us be tested beyond what we can bear. The certainty that God will never leave us or forsake those whose souls are downcast. The certainty that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The certainty that the new creation is coming, where God will come and dwell with his people, and every tear will be wiped away, and we will praise our God and Saviour together. Brothers and sisters, this morning, this is the medicine our souls need, large doses of it every day. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. Let's pray.